0: He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, and we'll uh, continue with our hymn of the month, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, um, and remember by popular vote, we're doing the alternate tune, so uh, if you read music, ignore ignore the music that is uh, written. So the, the tune is the same one for uh, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling.
1: Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Come now, long expected Jesus born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. His strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every nation. heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, praise us to thy glorious throne.
0: Right. And we'll continue with um, Christian... Uh, the catechism memory work and Bible memory work. The catechism is uh, Christian questions and their answers. So I'll read the unbolded part and everyone can read the bolded part together. Do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my hope. In whom then do you trust? In my dear Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? The Son of God, true God, and man. How many gods are there? Only one. One. But there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll read the Bible memory work together. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5:8. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. uh, kids can go up to Sunday school. So for the uh, section on hymnody today, um, I always like to talk a little bit about a hymn at the beginning of Bible study. And normally I'd point out something in our hymn of the month, but uh, I want to talk instead about of our hymn... Hymn of the Month, I want to talk a little bit about the Hymn of the Day today, because it's a very important Advent hymn that you all know and love, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's uh, a very old Advent hymn, right? It's uh, it's also one of the most popular throughout Christian history, uh, at least today, um, it's even probably considered, you know, a popular Christian song, or a popular, um, well, Christian, yes, but Christmas song is what I meant. Um, even though it's not actually, it's one of these songs that's not actually Christmas song, right? It's an Advent song, uh, Advent hymn, and we do distinguish between Advent hymns and and Christmas hymns. We sing we. Uh, the rest of the world is operating on kind of a different schedule, right? They're already singing Chris. They've been singing Christmas songs since, since Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, and maybe even earlier in yeah. some Halloween. cases. Halloween, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the church, the church kind of withholds the joy of Christmas, right? As we're preparing for Christmas right. with uh, the, the coming during during Advent, and then uh, we are in the church calendar, this doesn't come out as much, I think. But um, you know, the day after Christmas, everyone puts their trees away, right? Well, in the church year calendar, Christmas is 12 days, 12, the 12 days of Christmas. That's where that comes from. Um, it's actually the 12 days after Christmas. Right. Um, and so we leave our trees up until Epiphany. So uh, that we're, we're always on a bit of a different schedule. But anyway, I wanted to um, just tell you about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, if you didn't know the history of it a little bit. Um, it is one of the older Advent hymns. It's from the uh, 12th century. It's an old Latin hymn. And it is... Is actually not uh, originally him in and of itself it is a compilation of something called antiphons so in um, if you know what an antiphon is it's a verse within a liturgical text that's kind of the highlighted verse so in our intro it every Sunday, uh, that we say uh, right after the confession of sins uh, in the intro, it, you'll notice, uh, if you can look in your bulletin, that the first verse and the last verse are the same. right? So our intro today, um, I'm actually talking about this verse in the sermon, so uh, this, this works out well. But the intro today is from Isaiah 45, 8. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. But the earth caused them both to sprout. And then after the glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, and all that, when you get to the end of that, uh, you have Isaiah 45.8 repeated. Uh, that's the antiphon. And you can even see um, in that intro it when the scripture is listed up at the top. Um, the intro part is Psalm 19:1 and Psalm 19, 4 through 6, and then the antiphon is Isaiah 45.8. Right? So. Um, that's what an antiphon is. It's kind of the highlighted verse. Well, um, the medieval church in the 12th century had um, would sometimes have special antiphons where a, a day would have its own kind of special antiphon, its own special verse that they would um, say. And sometimes they are verses from the Bible, and sometimes they were... Um, uh, kind of like hymn verses. Uh, but regardless, they'd have their a special antiphon for a given day if it was kind of a special day. Well, the most famous of those is where we get Ocum, Ocum, manual and that's what's called – I'll write it down here. Um, where's my marker that I had out? I had one that yeah, I knew worked out here. Okay. Um, the – right. The great, they're called, they're, you know they're special because they're called, that's the name, they're great, the great O antiphons. Um, and from December 17th, which was yesterday, to December t- uh, 23rd, so leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, that week, those seven days, Uh, Each day had a great O antiphon. It had had its own antiphon um, that they all started O come. This is why they're the O antiphons, because they begin O come, and then a title for Christ, and then um, a a verse about that title for Christ. So uh, each verse of O come, O come, Emmanuel is based on one of these O antiphons. what the editors of the Lutheran service book, our hymnal, did, um, we don't get this when we print the hymn in the bulletin, but I'm going to pass the hymnal around so you can see it, is they put the uh, – they listed out the original great O Antiphons with their days um, off to the side so that you can uh, read them and see how they match up. With the hymn verses in Okam, Okama Manual. So I'm going to, um, you guys can pass that hymnal around and you can see that. Uh, but these are all very beautiful. And um, what we do as part of our home devotions from December 17th to December 23rd is uh, we have this little booklet that has the great O antiphons listed out. And it's got some corresponding scripture passages uh, for each of the O antiphons, for each of the verses. And um, we just kind of tagged that on to our normal uh, devotions during, during Advent. And it's a very nice way to kind of prepare for Christmas um, these uh, O antiphons uh, that where O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is based on. So, um, for instance, uh, the first O, and there, what's kind of interesting is that the, the hymn uh, put them out of order. <laughs> so it started with the last one first, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, which is actually December 23rd. But – and then it kind of goes in order from there. But the uh, December 17th – or – well, actually, let's do today's. So today's uh, is December 18th. O Adonai and ruler of the house of Israel who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and gave him the law in Sinai, come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. Um, And that's corresponding to stanza three in O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who on thy tribes – uh, to, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe? Um, so it's kind of a, a poetic paraphrase of the O Antiphons. Um, so even though we don't gather for church from December 17th to December 23rd and get to use these in church, it is nice that we get to sing this, this <laughs> hymn um, with all of the great O Antiphons in it. Um, the the Sunday before Christmas, uh, so it's a very nice hymn to sing today. So if you didn't know about the O antiphons, um, or O come, O come Emmanuel, and where that hymn comes from, that's that's where it comes from. I think it's you know a, a really beautiful hymn, and it's obviously very Advent focused. Um, the word Advent means come, and so when we have these O come antiphons, this is uh, we're repeating over and over again. O oh, come Christ, O oh, come Christ, O oh, come Christ. Right, because all these different um, titles, O oh, Wisdom, O oh, Adonai, O oh, Root of Jesse, O oh, Key of David, O oh, Dayspring, O oh, King of Nations, O oh, Emmanuel, those are all titles for, for Christ. So um, any any questions on that or thoughts? I've thought about, at some point, basing the, uh, Advent Medweek series off the funds. so tell me if you hate that idea or like that idea, I guess. Um, that's, a kind of a popular, um, amongst Lutheran pastor way to, to do the Advent Medweeks, so, um, all right. still losing my marker here, all right, uh, the Bible, or the Catechism and Bible Memory work today, uh, which we'll look at briefly, so if you remember from last week in Christian Questions and Their Answers, it started out with questions like, uh, "Are you a sinner? How do you know you're a sinner?" And then this this week, um, and the answers were yes, and from the Ten Commandments. And then this week it starts out with questions like, "Do you hope to be saved?" Uh, "Yes, that is my hope." And "In whom do you trust?" "In Jesus." Uh, "Who is Jesus?" True, "Son of God, true God and true true man." How many gods are there? Uh, Only one. There are three persons. If you notice the pattern there, it's starting with the Ten Commandments. And then it's moving to the Creed. Right? So it starts with, uh, are you a sinner? How do you know from the Ten Commandments? And then, do you want to be saved? Okay, how did that happen? By whom? We find that out in the Creed. Right? And then, okay, who is this? this guy uh jesus uh true god um begotten not made born of the virgin mary true god and true man and uh then in the creed we also learn the trinity right you have the structure of the creed is the three persons of the trinity father son the holy spirit and so the the trinity comes up so what the christian questions and answers are there are doing in a sense um Ultimately, they're preparing you to receive communion. That's the main point, which we talked about last week. But they are also, um, like we kind of talked about last week, putting the catechism that you learned, right? The Ten Commandments to create the Lord's Prayer, uh, baptism, confession, Lord's Supper. They're putting that those parts of the catechism that you learned into practice in your own life, right? So now you're applying... That uh, catechism, the, those Ten Commandments, that creed, uh, in these questions, you're applying those to your own life, right? It's not just kind of abstract of, okay, what are the Ten Commandments and what do they mean? But now it's, what do they mean to me, right? Uh, what's, what do they do for me? What, is the, what does the creed mean to my life? Um, what does it mean that – what does the Trinity uh, mean in, in my life? that this is the god who saved me this is the god who redeemed me this is the god who created me and sanctifies me so uh the christian questions and answers are helpful in this way um which i made that point last week that the last three parts of the catechism the the daily prayers the christian questions and their answers and the table of duties which we spent plenty of time in already uh recently uh they really bring the catechism to bear on your life right they bring the bible to bear on your life uh that um these are the practical parts of the catechism if you will and so uh, i really i really enjoy these parts of the catechism i think uh just the way that the history of the lutheran church has played out in modern history uh, we've kind of neglected these last three parts of the catechism and focus too much on the first – not too much. Um, that that doesn't, that doesn't come out right, but focused uh, more on the first six parts and not enough on the last uh, three parts. So um, if you think way back to, to confirmation or uh, to, to whenever the last time you look, kind of looked through the catechism was, um, always keep in mind there's, there's these – this is meant to be uh, a – Really, the catechism in some ways is meant to be like a life manual, right? Um, Like, this is the basics of a Christian life. Um, It's a very, very summarized, uh, basic Christian life based on the Bible. Um, Obviously, the Bible is that as well, but as we know from, like, what we're studying with the Bible right now uh, about Jehoshaphat in Judah the bible is kind of long and complex and so having that catechism that's okay where's the starting point what's the basics is very helpful all right yeah uh oh i thought you had a question any questions or comments all right with that then we'll uh jump over to uh the bible history portion You can tell me, by the way, if you uh, – I've been doing this for like probably a year now. I don't know. But uh, I like I like splitting up Bible study with the at-home prayer, hymnody, catechism, Bible memory work. And then I know it gives us less time on the actual uh, Bible part, but I like bite-sized portions. So I think it's easier – on the brain uh to pick up things in bite-sized portions in our i mean in our modern world um our attention spans and our memories are not as good as they once were uh when you watch a movie it's like you know constant jump cuts um, so i like I like splitting up Bible study like this, where we can kind of just do bite-sized portions, and then it takes longer to get through things, but it doesn't really matter because all the stuff's important, at least in my mind. So tell me if you hate that. If you just want to spend, if you just want me to lecture for an hour straight on this, on the same, on the same topic, I will. I have no problem with that. But I kind of like splitting it up. So um, look let, let me know if you decide that you. Uh, Hate that. I, I was just thinking about that the other day. I was that I kind of started um, extending these different sections and and making Bible study more uh, separate chunks of time. And I thought maybe everyone hates that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no one's ever said anything. I don't think so. we keep coming back. If we're yeah, coming that's down. right. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> So we're in 2 Chronicles now, uh, continuing through Bible history. And, uh, well, uh, so I take that back. Uh, I didn't write it on the board, but we're actually still in 2 Chronicles 16. Um, I'll just do this really quickly. We never finished Asa. So King Asa is Jehoshaphat's dad. Um, one of the good kings of Israel, and uh, Jehoshaphat's also going to be a good king in Israel. Um, we already covered this story uh, back... Let me uh, look at the chart here, make sure. Yeah. Uh, so back with uh, King Basha in Israel... A long time ago, uh, we covered this story that happens in 2 Chronicles 16, which is that Basha, who's an evil king in Israel, northern kingdom, wants to go to war with Asa in the southern kingdom. And um, Asa makes a treaty in 2 Chronicles 16 with Ben-Hadad of Syria uh, to attack Israel, to kind of head them off. Uh, to distract them from attacking um, Judah. So instead of Israel attacking Judah, uh, Judah makes a treaty with Syria to attack Israel so that um, Israel will not be attacking Judah. So it's kind of a um, sly diplomatic uh, situation that Asa gets involved in here. Now, um, when he does this, uh, when, when Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, goes and attacks israel in the northern kingdom and they're distracted uh what bashad or what Asa does excuse me is he goes and he removes all the building materials of uh the fortifications that israel is trying to build along the border between judah and israel and uh so that's the way he kind of shuts down the military attack <laughs> From from Israel, it's a very kind of sly thing, and I, I like this in the Bible when we get these stories that aren't aren't just like so and so attacked them, and then they attacked them, and there were this many armies, and and uh, then they plundered them, and that was the nice war that they had. Um, it's fun whenever something like you know tricky happens, right? So uh, you get that a lot in the Judges, um, and we'll I'll actually see another the another aspect of that today in. Um, second chronicles 20 or we'll we'll get there to some degree i think uh in second chronicles 20 when um these eastern forces go to attack judah and um jehoshaphat actually the lord uh, pulls a very sly trick but um anyhow the when asa does this it works and um it all works out for good in the end However, uh, Asa is punished for this because Asa forgot something. What did what did Asa forget to do? Yeah, he forgot to call on God. He forgot to pray, right? And so we've we've stressed this over and over again. But uh, there's three needs that the um, that I this is just kind of my own way of thinking about this, but that I identify as um, what makes for a good king whenever they throughout the history of both the united and divided kingdom of israel is there's three needs for kings to be good kings uh the need for worship right worship right prayer and to have the word to listen to the prophets uh, worship prayer and the word and uh every time before battle this has been proven over and over again that these kings should call on the lord And Asa, um, thinks he, after all the success that he's had, um, and this is always the danger when you have too much success is you start to get prideful and rely on yourself. Uh, Asa gets prideful and doesn't call on the Lord. He doesn't pray. And so while he remains a good King, he is punished. Uh, he gets a disease in his feet before he dies. So, um, if you look at around verse, uh, uh, Eleven and twelve of Second Chronicles sixteen, um, Asa became diseased in his feet, mm-hmm. which is an unpleasant disease. Um, can't you know walk around anymore? I assume. Um, and the, and the malady was severe uh, because and uh, he didn't seek the Lord, right? So um, the application of that is is simply to To be aware of pride. So uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, which starts out by talking about the history of the people of Israel, which is kind of interesting, and talks about the wandering in the wilderness and all the blessings that God gave to the people of Israel. Um, that it is, The the people of Israel were were blessed by the Lord. They were provided for, so on and so forth. Paul Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, they were, I'm paraphrasing, despite all these blessings, many of them fell away. Um, In fact, most of them, right? Most of the generation that started out wandering in the wilderness, most of the generation that saw God's mighty work parting the Red Sea, uh, they fell away. From the faith and that's incredibly sad um that that so many fell but he says these things are written for our instruction so that we would learn from the these mistakes and that's that's really why we go through bible history right is that um the the history of the people of god is one it's a history of our salvation it's a history of the coming of christ and that's maybe the most important thing. Two, it is an example to us. right? As we've seen over and over again, there's all these examples uh, throughout what's recorded in in the Bible of things that apply directly to our lives. And so Paul says to, to us, modern New Testament Christians, right? Um, and this is verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 10. Watch, therefore... If you think you stand firm, lest you fall, right? So this is what happens to Jehoshaphat. He thinks he's standing firm, and then literally his feet become ill as a punishment of the Lord, right? So um, he he probably literally fell down. (laughs) Um, So this is uh, just always something to keep in mind is that we should – this is something we always need to be on guard of is of pride. Um, really, pride is in some ways the fundamental sin. Um, pride is what uh, causes Adam and Eve to fall into sin, or the, it is the, in some sense, the first sin that they fall into, is that they think, "I know better than God, right? I can handle this. God didn't think I can handle this, but I think I can handle this, right?" So um, that's that's always the danger. Every every sin really is pride. When you think about it like that, when you're saying, "God says this is sin, but I don't think it is,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So, uh, watch. Watch. Therefore, if you think you stand for, firm, lest you fall. Okay. Um, let's move on then to Jehoshaphat. So that's Asa's life, and sadly, um, he's still recorded as a good king. Um, and there's really no. there's really nothing to indicate that asa fell away from faith um so if you read the beginning of asa's life it um in first kings or no that's in second kings um it says basically he remained faithful all his days so uh there is this aspect that he he had faith he had saving faith um we would say but then we also have that verse in Second uh, Chronicles 16 there that um, he uh, he didn't seek the Lord for this illness, right? So he died not recognizing um, what this illness was from. And it's also interesting. It says he didn't seek the Lord, but he sought his physicians, right. um, which is very interesting in our modern world. When you think about how much trust people put in doctors, right? Um, uh, I I mean, I do kind of like, like to make this point, and it's harsh. Uh, but no one ever misses a doctor's appointment. People miss church all the time. Um, but this is a doctor's appointment for the soul, right? Every
1: week. Yeah, Steve. Well, sometimes when you miss your doctor's appointment, they charge you for it anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, we don't charge late fees. <laughs> just come. Uh, but that's what that uh, Luther liked to call pastors—that uh, physicians of the soul, right? And there the there's a I think it's like Jer- i want to say Jerome—that just sticks out in my head. But um, I think there was an early church father. I know there was I just don't remember who I think it's Jerome that called um, the Lord's Supper the medicine of immortality right Um, because that's what it is it's uh, not in a kind of magical sense of oh if you just make sure you receive the Lord's Supper at some point in your life then automatically you'll go to heaven or something like that that's not what he meant but it's the uh, it's the medicine for our soul right it's what keeps us spiritually healthy and uh so that we would receive eternal life so yeah I, I always i do find it funny that um people's priorities that they will seek their physicians and they won't seek god um when you know as even with this even with physical illnesses um because what what heals like we we have we have this very high trust in modern medicine which is whatever i mean i'm not saying medicine doesn't help but unless god causes the medicine to help it won't help right unless god allows the medicine to help it won't help unless god allows the person to be healed they won't be healed um everything's in god's hands right and so i i mean i wonder how much we really believe that today um that it's actually in god's hands not in the medicine's hands right i mean i'm gu- i'm guilty of this too like if i get a headache i just expect the Tylenol all work right and i i i don't always pray like i don't always say i should right but you should you should um you should pray that god would take the the pain away if you want the pain to be taken away um and in his mercy sometimes he gives that anyway right so uh, but that's still no excuse for us not to thank him and not to ask for his help. Anyway, okay, that, that was a fun tangent, but we should move on. Um, that's a good verse. I should write that down somewhere. Um, he sought – his his illness was severe, yet he did not seek the Lord but his physicians.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow,
0: that's, uh, that's great. Okay, um. So moving on to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is another good king in Judah. Um, still one of few. I mean, we'll we'll get to more evil kings here in the future, and then uh, most of them are going to be evil, but but some good. Jehoshaphat's another good one. He continues in the ways of his father, Asa, and um, I'm gonna try. I'm uh, gonna try and shorten up Jehoshaphat. I don't want to spend forever on him. It's uh, four chapters total: 17, 18, 19, 20. So. Um, I just want to highlight basically one story of Jehoshaphat that I think is the best story from Second Chronicles 20. But uh, to, as an introduction, um, the first thing that Jehoshaphat does in his reign is basically all the same things that Asa did in his reign. Uh, and we call this – I'm, I'm going to use this phrase now. I think it's a, a good phrase of um, – Reformation and revival. So, we we talked on Reformation Sunday about uh, how the church is always reforming. The church always needs reformation because there's always problems in the church. There's always problems in within the people of uh, God on this earth because of sin, and so we always need to be looking for. ...what those problems are and how to fix them. And obviously sometimes they're more extreme in certain times of history and sometimes they're less extreme. But uh, even though Asa had done all his reforms, notice that when Jehoshaphat takes over the throne, there's still a lot of reforms to be done. right? There's still a lot of pagan shrines and idolatrous people um, that, that need to be brought to repentance. Um, so, we have Reformation and we also have this revival, um, not in the sense of, okay, so historically in America, we have like, um, you know, the Second Great Awakening revivals um, with uh, Charles Finney and all that. And that's, uh, I can go into some of that history at some point if you want. It's not, th- those aren't the best of things um, in the sense that in those. Early American revivals, people were being emotionally manipulated, and there was some bad theology there, as far as uh, you know, uh, free free uh, will theology and stuff like that. But it is true that sometimes places and churches they do need a revival of the spirit. They need a revival in the Word of God. Right, uh, they need to be revived by the by the true uh, spirit of of God. And so, uh, whenever so there's kind of two parts to this, right? The Reformation is the correction of the evil things, so the taking down of the shrines and the revival. This is just kind of a phrase I'm I'm using, but the revival is the turning back to the Word of God, right? So the kind of the negative and the positive. And so, um, Reformation revival, that's what's going on uh, for ASA. Um, And he also is wise like his father, and he builds more military fortifications and things uh, to protect the church, to protect the people of God. Um, And that's an interesting thing, too, that um, – maybe that's something we need to think about more, too, is as we go through our own reformations and revivals, um, we don't want to be – Uh, We want the gospel to go forth, right? So we're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep going out into the world. We're not going to go become monks and hide away. But we also want to do things to protect ourselves, right? So I don't know exactly what this always looks like, um, but I'll give it uh, kind of an example is that I know there's a group that's come and spoken to our pastors' conferences some called Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a law firm basically that um, they, they'll they take up like religious freedom cases, but they've put out some resources for churches on like how to uh, make sure that you have the right documentation to protect yourselves legally if someone wants to sue you for not having gender-neutral bathrooms, okay? Okay. Or for if someone comes and tells me to do a gay wedding and I say no. Um, How – what are – what's the best – like how do you make sure you kind of already have like defenses set up against that uh, in a legal sense? Um, I think that's actually a pretty good parallel to what Asa and Jehoshaphat are doing in Israel – or in Judah um, in setting up border fortifications for their military, right? Because. Our fights today are probably not going to be fought with uh, swords and shields um, as, as much as they are going to be fought like in the courts. So uh, that's something to think about is like as we go about being the best church we can, having reformation, having revival, um, being fervent in the word of God, how also do we protect ourselves against our enemies, against those who would destroy us? So that, that's something to, to think about as well. Okay, so um, all of that said, let's jump up to uh, 2 Chronicles 20. Um, so that's kind of what – and then there's a couple other things that go on in Jehoshaphat's life, but we're just going to kind of skip it and go to this one story uh, in Second Chronicles 20 where um, there are three forces – that um, come up against Judah to attack him. And these forces are Ammon, Moab, and the people of Mount Sire. Ammon, Moab, and the people of Mount Sire. Now, if you have a um, Bible history reference material packet, if you want one, there's some up here. Um, But I'll just point out on this map here, if you can see, uh, we have Judah... Here, where it says Judea, that's Judah, and that's the border between Israel and Judah. And then you have the people of Ammon that are going to attack Judah, joining with the people of Moab, joining with the people of Mount Sire. Now, Mount Sire is—it's uh, kind of like a—the people of Mount Sire. You can tell it's a rural area because they don't have like a name; they're just like the people of this region. If I was like it's the people of Johnson County, Mississippi you'd be like, yeah, like it's you know they're not really, they don't really have a, a big like it's not uh, a town name right It's just the people that are around it. Um, so the people of Mount Sire in this, this rural area. Uh, Mount Sire is way down here but where it says Edom um, and they're in the mountains, they're mountain people. So kind of ammonites, moabites, and probably some kind of Edomites. If you look at what that is, Judah goes from here to here. Ammon to Mount Sire goes from here to here. It's the entire eastern front, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So um, it's it's a massive army. And uh, what's the – I think there's – Word there, I'm trying to see what my translation says. Anyway, it's a it's a very 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 large uh, army that is going to come up against uh, that's going to come up against Judah to attack them. Oh, a great multitude. Okay, that's what that's what my translation says. And uh, verse two, uh, they yeah some a vast army a great multitude right. Um, this is this basically the entire eastern front of Judah has turned against him and is coming to attack him. Um, three, three large armies are joined together, right, to attack against Judah. Um, now, in verse two there, uh, this is the news that Jehoshaphat gets about this. They're coming against you from beyond the sea. So you can see how the sea is kind of in the way there. Um, and now they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. So let me see if it's on this map or not. Okay, it's not on this map. Uh, I have a map here that I printed out. I don't know if you can see it. So this is actually a map of this battle. But, uh, we have Ammon, Boab, Edom, Judah. Uh, En Gedi, Hazazon Tamar is here on the western But basically in the middle of the Dead Sea on the western border. So what that means, if you're looking at that map, they're already there. (laughs) Um, This isn't like, well, there's these uh, people. They're pretty far away. They're thinking about attacking you. You should maybe do something to get ready. No, there's a great multitude, and uh, they're at your back door. Right? This is Jehoshaphat being woken up in the middle of the night. You're being robbed. <laughs> like uh, th- This is a intense and um, urgent, let's say, situation. So what would other kings do historically if we look at the kings of Israel and um, as we'll see a lot of the kings of Judah? Uh, most other kings... If they were unfaithful, unlike Jehoshaphat, would probably go and try and pay these people off, right? Would try and uh, go make an alliance with, like, the king of Egypt or something to fight against these people, right? They try and take care of it themselves. Um, Jehoshaphat, his faithfulness here is amazing, right? Because especially in an urgent situation, you would think um, they're going to act – he's going to act rashly. But he doesn't. Okay, so this is what's um, – I, I, I wanted to show you the things on the map and uh, show you what's going on just to show you how kind of intense this situation is. Um, Jehoshaphat feared. So, right, he is, he is afraid of what's going to happen. But then he set himself – this is verse 3 – to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Okay, so this goes back to Reformation and Revival is uh, as the king, uh, he leads his whole nation in the ways of the Lord um, and and proclaims a fast throughout the land, right? It's like when uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and and the king proclaims a fast throughout the land for repentance, right? So uh, he proclaims a fast throughout the, the land and they ask help from the Lord And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So people from all over the entire realm of Judah, they come um, to Jerusalem, uh, to Solomon's Temple, assumedly, assuming, uh, with the king to pray to the Lord. This is a pretty amazing thing, right? So um, we'll we'll look at, so again, right worship, right prayer, seeking the word. Um, actually, we'll get to the word in a minute. The 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 prophet is yet to come, but let's look at uh, verses six to twelve. This is the prayer that Jehoshaphat stands in the assembly of Judah and prays. Um, I mean, I I just love this. Like, just think, just imagine to yourself, like uh, that some foreign nation is going to attack America, and instead of like freaking out and getting our nukes ready, uh, Joe Biden calls everyone to the White House and starts praying to Jesus Christ. Like, mm. this is what's happening, right? It's, it's amazing. Um, and this prayer is great. Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Okay. So uh, this prayer is great. First of all, just the main thing to point out is the absolute trust that um, Jehoshaphat shows in the Lord. Right? Especially that last verse. We don't know what to do. We don't have any power against these people. But you can save us. You can judge them. You know what we need. We're looking to you, right? Um, if only we could approach our prayers with, with such faith. The other thing I want you to notice is the, the pattern of prayer here because uh, the pattern of prayer um, is the same pattern of prayer in some ways that we, we often pray with. And it's it's always kind of good to recognize this. Okay, so we recognize like this is a beautiful prayer. This is how we need to pray with this kind of faith. How do we do that? Get down to the brass tacks. Uh, the first thing uh, he does um, is uh, talks about godly attributes. So he says things like uh, Are you not the God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nation? Is your hand in your hand is there not power and might? Okay, so he's telling God things about himself, which is interesting, right? So uh, it it seems it when when you say that out loud, it seems weird that we would like tell God things about Himself. Um, I mean, doesn't God know who He is, right? But this is the nature of prayer: is that God wants to hear our prayers like a father wants to hear his children, and so. Um, how, what do fathers want to hear from their children, right? They want to hear uh, their children uh, talk about them. They want to hear their, their children tell 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 them about their lives, um, but also how that relates to them, um, right? They, you, they, you want your children to ask you questions about yourself and to talk about you. And so um, this is what God wants from us. He wants us to praise him for who he is. And the other thing this attribution is doing is um, recalling God's promises. So on what basis are we going to pray? We're going to pray on the basis that God is powerful and that he's mighty and that he can do these things, that he's the God in heaven, right? Uh, these kinds of things. So, um, and you can notice there, right? Are you not the God in heaven? Well, how does Jesus teach us to pray? Our father who art in heaven, right? Um, so we start out with this this God, this God godly attribute. Um, then he uh, gives this—oh, uh, I'm out of time. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll pick back up on the pattern of prayer uh, next next week. Uh, no, we won't. Next week's Christmas. Yes, Jeez. Okay, no Bible study next week. Um, I'm doing Christmas service down in Oxford at 11 a.m., so I got to ski out of here after our 9 o'clock service here. So don't forget, 9 o'clock service here, not 10.15. So don't come to church at 10.15 next Sunday. Um, Come at 9, like you would for Bible study, but we're going to have service. So, all right, uh, let's end in a word of prayer. Any uh, final questions or comments or thoughts, though, before, before we do that? Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are the God in heaven and that you are powerful and mighty, and we pray... That you would defend us that you would save us that you would help us in all our needs we pray that you would come to us today as we worship you we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the preaching of your word and dear heavenly father we thank you and praise you for all the good that you have brought us especially this christmas and advent that you have come to us in your son jesus christ in the incarnation that you have taken on human flesh that we might be reborn sons and daughters of God. We pray that you would continue to be with us and continue to come to us until uh, Jesus comes again, finally on the last day. We pray this all through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.